Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, it was double duty for Matt Roberts today. He's been up since some unearthly hour, having had the total sum of how much sleep, Matt, last night? Oh, somewhere between four and five hours, I would say. (laughs) Not enough. (laughs) Okay. How are you feeling? I feel okay, actually. There There was a point during the day where... We were just starting the second tie, so sort of technically we were halfway through the day and it, it did feel like we were probably going to be there until the small hours. But then the second tie did not go as long as, as we were expecting. So here we are recording perhaps at the earliest hour that we have done all week by some yeah. by some miracle. Yeah, that, that it is strange, that, isn't it? Because I think... The the Serbia against Britain tie started about two and a half to three hours later than scheduled, didn't it? Yeah, which, look, they got lucky, I think, that the play didn't end up finishing at, well, it could have been 2 a.m. You know, we saw in Paris, didn't we, paris Bercy a couple of weeks ago when they have six matches scheduled on the court that they were frequently getting finishes around 2 o'clock in the morning. And we had six matches scheduled today from 10 a.m., but with an hour between the two ties. So, you know, if they needed to play all those six matches, I think we were looking at a very, very late finish. And I think they've got away with one there because because we know that you can't play six matches on one court and fit in the same day and finish at a reasonable hour. Like, tennis knows this, and yet it keeps <laughs> scheduling that. So um, the fact that we only played five, you know, only only one of them went to went to three sets, you know, and and still we we finished fairly late. But um, yeah, the sort of brilliance of of Novak Djokovic and Mirmir Katsmanovic meant that we didn't finish really really late. But yeah, it was a six ten start for the second tie rather than four p.m., which was sort of stretching stretching the resources of the fan zone. I think they've got this this really good fan zone outside the stadium with lots of places to eat and drink and there's a screen up and you know, I don't just don't think they were banking on having so many people in there for so many hours because people showed up and, you know, that was the only place for them to stay. And I I did hear that they started running out of things and, you know, it was pretty cramped in there. But it was also a good space and a good time and people were enjoying the sun. So I think they just about sort of got away with it, but it could have been an extraordinarily late finish. Yeah, I mean, Matt's early finish tonight, it, it is midnight mm. right now and we've just started the podcast, so here we go. Uh, and as uh, Catherine and Matt rightly said last night, I was I was dead to the night at about 10.30 and had a lovely <laughs> Lovely sleep. Back on duty uh, So it's tonight. my turn tonight. <laughs> it's my turn, yeah, and I'm full of beans. Uh, I've had lots and lots to uh, to watch and enjoy over the course of today. Um, so, yeah, I'm giving Catherine the night off now. And, um, and I mean, there really has been a lot to, to watch today. It's been, f- but as you say, quite surprising. I mean, we'll start with the most recent match uh, that we've just seen, which was Serbia beating Great Britain and 
I think we were I think we were surprised. I think we were maybe I don't know whether we we over believed in Jack Draper's ability to kind of beat whoever Serbia put up at number two. I think maybe we did. I think I certainly think Miamir Ketsmanovic took me by surprise today. He was fantastic. I mean, we have seen that Miamir Ketsmanovic before last year at times. I mean, he he had his best results and there were spells in that year when he was superb, but not I, I thought Jack Draper played all right. I mean, there were some horror moments to produce double faults. There were, you know, maybe he could have done a bit more with his forehand more often, but he was playing hard, solid, aggressive, beefy tennis. And Ketsmanovic not only stood up to it, he actually had the point-ending power more often than his opponents. I mean, it was it was blooming impressive, wasn't it? Yeah, I was I was really really impressed with Ketsmanovic today. He was he was the better player against against Draper. Uh, Draper didn't manage to get to Deuce on the Ketsmanovic serve, whereas Ketsmanovic was very often in Jack Draper's service games. And you know, Draper did a brilliant job to hold serve. I think. Three games in a row in the second set from Love 30, 15-30, 15-30 was constantly under pressure because of how well Ketsmanovic was playing. Uh, but ultimately, as you said, the difference was was kind of two tie breaks and Draper played a pretty poor first tie break with a couple of double faults, which you you just you just can't afford to to give top level opponents that kind of advantage. And they both, I thought, played well in in, in the second set tie break at times and Draper in particular hit hit this incredible uh drop volley onto the line to you know to save match point at one stage in that tie break and I, I thought you know the margins were so small I thought it might might swing in in Draper's favor and who knows what would have happened in the third set but uh, yeah I thought Ketsmanovic on the whole was was absolutely brilliant the the hitting from the baseline between them was was just awesome at times. It, it felt like they both liked each other's ball in a way and they were kind of able to sort of tee off and, and sort of produce some of their best stuff. Um, but like you, I was kind of wrestling with that, with that question of did we slightly overrate Jack Draper? Do we generally slightly overrate? Jack Draper. I I don't think so. I I am a big believer in in his talent and in his potential. I, I think there's lots that he can still improve. I sort of noticed today he didn't didn't really change the pace that much. He, I, I feel like developing a slice backhand would be would be quite a useful thing for him to be able to do. And I I, I think maybe he can. Um, but I think what I what I underestimated was the looming presence of Novak Djokovic in the second singles because that was a must-win match for Jack Draper. Look, as much as everyone was, as much as anyone in the British team can say, I believe in Cameron Norrie and, you know, everyone knew that Novak Djokovic was going to beat Cameron Norrie in the second singles. And I think... I think Draper knew that as well. And he, he, he said he stepped onto the court kind of nervous... And I think Ketsmanovic was pretty free and able to to play at a level that he hasn't really played at for most of this year. I mean, he's got a losing record on on tour this year. Ketsmanovic is his I think his eight most recent wins, other than one against Holgeruna, had all been against players ranked outside of the top one hundred. You know, he hasn't been producing this level repeatedly, but. He's just seemed so confident. And I, I have to think that knowing that Novak Djokovic is following you and at the very worst is going to be in with a chance of winning it in the doubles must have just been a bit of a pressure release. And I think I think Draper in that environment for kind of the kind of the first time really that he was out there, really the tie was kind of on on his shoulders. You know, he, he needed to deliver. And he said he felt pretty nervous and um I thought he played well, but just in in some slightly crucial moments, as you said, he um, he just couldn't quite produce, and that was that was the difference. It was it was very small margins, but I, I do think that that looming presence of of Djokovic was still felt even in this first match when he wasn't on the court. It's kind of extraordinary the the influence that he can have. 
I'm interested to hear you say you felt he played well, Draper, because I felt that, and I I said afterwards immediately, Draper played a good match. Ketsmanovic played an excellent one, played a great one. It was it, he he was really superb. He was the reason he won more than his opponent letting himself down. Was my my take on it? I got I got a few replies saying. Jack Draper hit 48 unforced errors. I did not see 48 unforced errors. Okay, I wasn't keeping count. I admit that. But it didn't feel like an unforced error strewn match to me. If I, I think they've, the, there's a difference in perception of what's forced and what's unforced, if, if that's the tally, uh, by whoever's keeping count in this particular instance. My, my take was he was staying in an awful lot of rallies and playing and testing asking questions with deep shots, persistent long rallies. His opponent was just coming up with the answers time after time after time. Uh, that, 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 was, that was my reading. And was his selection a surprise at the start of the day? I think, he, I think we didn't we say Jera would be probably the expected pick? Um, it certainly would have been mine. Yeah, there was quite an interesting moment in Jack Draper's press conference, which I wanted to follow up on, but but didn't get the chance. And he said that the team, so I take that to mean Leon Smith and all of the sort of backroom staff and maybe some of his fellow players as well, he said the team were expecting Jarrah to play. But Draper said that he was expecting Ketsmanovic to play. So I, I found that interesting and, and I wondered whether that did sort of just slightly affect the preparations at all. You know, I, I don't really know how how much you target a specific opponent in your build-up for a match like this because it could it could have been any one of three, really. Um, but Draper said that he's hit with Ketsmanovic before and he really rates him. You know, he just thinks that... He thinks that sort of ball-striking level, he can be top 10 in the world, really. Uh, he just hasn't hasn't had the consistency over a full year to be able to get anywhere near that that kind of ranking. Um, so I was a bit surprised, but it, it does suggest that, that Draper wasn't, that, that Draper was ready for that challenge. Uh, they'd played earlier this year on, on clay, and again, Draper said that he felt like he had to play so well to beat him. Uh, so maybe something, even though Draper won that match, perhaps something just match-up-wise, the Serbians liked that, and maybe Ketsmanovic felt he'd already got a feel for Draper's game, whereas Jera had never played Draper before. So um, so they sent Ketsmanovic out, and my goodness, he delivered. I I thought he was brilliant, really, from from start to finish. I was I was so impressed. His level didn't didn't drop once. I think I think Draper could have returned better. Like, I don't think Ketsmanovic has got an amazing serve. He served well for him, but to not get in any of those games, I think would have been frustrating for Draper, not to push him to deuce, not to just apply some pressure. Uh, He was the one constantly under pressure. But yeah, so many of those rallies, they may have been ending on what someone may call an unforced error, but the, the ball was moving so quickly and... So often Draper was at the, you know, at the limit of his reach trying to trying to hit a shot. And maybe sometimes his shot selection, he sometimes feels like he maybe goes for a bit too much sometimes because he can pull it off. He can pull off the extraordinary, but maybe sometimes he needs to to slightly rein it in when he's when he's kind of at full stretch. But generally his his, his rally tolerance is good. Um, so I, I, I think it would be harsh to say that Draper played played a bad match today I, I I was quite impressed really with both of them um but perhaps in the biggest moments Draper Draper didn't quite deliver I, I find that the whole thing fascinating you said that the pace of Draper's shots is all quite similar you know that mm. that's one thing I've heard heard said by a couple of people and and you 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 wonder whether the slice backhand might be an option see I wonder whether actually he needs to find another injection to be a bit more explosive. Um, and whilst rally tolerance is a good thing and it keeps you in rallies, and and they're not like weak shots by any, by any means, but the guy with the injection of pace was down the other end more often, I felt. And I just thought I almost want him to just 
tee off a couple on a couple of these and and not get embroiled in a rally. Well, that is kind of Draper's own analysis, I would say. He 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 said that he's learning to play in the right way and and he described the right way as trying to use his size and use his power yeah, and sort of that's it. impose himself and come forward. And I, I, he said he, he felt like he he's getting a lot better at that, but he thinks that that's still still an element that he can get better at. And look, I, I totally agree with that as well. Um, I just think, I just think you kind of need a slice backhand or need a, a way of changing the pace in rallies. I, I, there were so few top players who don't have that. And I, I think, um, you know, or there are top players, but that's the reason that they have a bit of a ceiling, perhaps, that they don't quite have that variety. So I, I, I would like Draper to kind of develop that. But you're right. I, I think maybe, maybe first of all, working on imposing himself and taking mm. over matches would would sort of be the the step that he's looking to make in, in 2024. It was, it was interesting. Catherine drew our attention while we were watching the match to something that commentators Nick Lester and Barry Cowan said about how Draper used to not be very big for his age when he was a junior. And therefore, he was a bit of a scrapper from the baseline. And I think that that still comes through in his DNA as a player, both for good and bad. It keeps him in rallies, but therefore maybe makes him retrieve a little bit mm. too much or re- react. I think reacting is what he does a lot of the time rather than being proactive and assertive and saying, no, no, you're going to get me now. I'm not going to respond to you. Mm. Um, but anyway, we'll see We'll see how that develops. Not everybody can do that. Um, but uh, I personally think Draper can. The next match that went out on the court was Novak Djokovic against Cameron Norrie. And look, everybody's got a chance in a match and Norrie could have played the match of his life and Djokovic have a terrible day or get injured or something like that. I actually think Norrie played one of the best matches I've seen him play in quite a while. And he still got handily beaten in straight sets, 6-4, 6-4 by Novak Djokovic. I mean, there was nothing... Norrie could do to change that scoreline the way it went because I just don't I don't think he did much wrong what did you think yeah look there's there's just a golf in class isn't there I mean Cameron Norrie played well tonight and didn't didn't really get that close I, I think he only won I think he only won more than one point on Djokovic's serve a couple of times in the entire match Djokovic was just cruising through his uh, his service games, and I watched the second set from the media seats, which are pretty close to the court, and it's pretty rare that I get the chance to watch Novak Djokovic up that close. And I must say, I I enjoyed it so much. Just sort of just just sort of put my phone away and just. I didn't really watch Cameron Norrie, to be honest. I, I basically just watched Novak Djokovic because, you know, sometimes I just think it's it's good to to sort of appreciate what's in front of you like that. And what what really struck me was the balance of him and how quickly he hits a shot and just immediately gets ready for the next one. And I, I know that sounds like a, a really simple, basic thing, but comparing him to all the other players is just something that he just seems to do better than everyone else. He, he just, the little bits of footwork and the little bits of getting himself in position for the next shot, he's just so sharp and focused. And therefore that allows him time on the ball and it allows him to just be in position all the time and, and ready. And yeah, he just, he just is never off balance. I, I don't know how you, how you knock him off that. It, it, it's extraordinary. And um, I thought he played pretty within himself and pretty poised generally. Like, um, you know, it, we didn't see quite quite so much sort of explosion on the forehand side that maybe we saw quite a lot of in, um, in Turin. He was just pretty content to rally cross court. He was hitting some extraordinary angles with his forehand and then just sort of pulled the trigger when he needed to or, or wait for Norrie to miss. He was very controlled the entire match. Um, but then there was this this big release of 
I don't know what you would call it, frustration, I think, really, at the at the British crowd at the end of the match. It was it was kind of an extraordinary moment. Yes, because uh, he, he hit an ace out wide and instantaneously turned to them with his arms out wide, his chest out, and a sort of, how do you like me now, sort of look on him, uh, on his face. And, and he was clearly getting wound up by, I think I think there was one in particular in the crowd who who was giving him a hard time. And this, look, he's always been defiant. He's always been a better player when riled and when given a, a little cause like that. But it's something we've seen more and more of late, of him taking on a crowd and being unapologetic for it and not not trying to just sort of win every single person in the stadium over by being lovely. By he he it's he's so much more comfortable being his authentic self, it seems to me now. And I love it. I actually think it's the best, the best Novak Djokovic we've ever had, uh, both in terms of his tennis and his kind of demeanor on the court. And Frankly, I love that he gave it to them. I I don't really have a problem with them giving it to him either. I just that's Davis Cup. And uh yeah, I know he didn't like it very much, but huh, it all worked out, I think. Did you see the encore interview? I I heard about it. Tell tell us what happened. Yeah, because I look, I I completely agree with with everything you've said. Like during the match it was sort of I felt like it was pretty much fair game from those from those fans to be making the noise, you know, and um, I didn't feel like it crossed the line at all. But in the post-match interview, Novak Djokovic is is speaking to the crowd and the little contingent of the most vocal British support start drumming and, and, and start making a lot of noise so that so that Djokovic can't be heard. And that's pretty rude. I felt that was a bit rude and, and, and people started to boo in the stadium because, you know, they wanted to hear what Novak Djokovic was saying. And the interviewer sort of took the microphone away. I think he was going to wait for them to stop. But then, then Novak Djokovic sort of leaned in and pretty pretty emphatically told, told them to shut up. He said, well, he told them to go home. He said, learn how to respect players he sort of wagged his finger at them. He said, "You're going to have a good sleep tonight." Um, and yeah, he, he he was he was really angry about the sort of lack of respect that they were showing him, not not sort of allowing him to speak to the crowd. And I think it was it was that combined with one or two little things from the match that just sort of riled him up. And yeah, I I thought he was well within his rights to to say that actually at that point. I thought, you know, the match has been won. The teams have shaken hands. Like it's done. Let's hear from from Novak Djokovic. It, it 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 felt in slightly poor taste, I thought, from from those fans, from what otherwise had been an amazing atmosphere, an amazing tie, and brilliant um, you know contributions from the crowd. But yeah, it was it was a real release of uh, of frustration from Djokovic, who had more or less kept a lid on it. But yeah, he he was not happy. Great, I enjoyed it. We we love all of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I say, I, I do find that a bit rude, and you know, um, the jousting and the all that's fun. But I mean, I'm quite—I'm just pleased he told them to get back in the box. To be honest, <laughs> um, so that puts Serbia into the semi-finals. We didn't get to see the doubles. They, in fact, decided not to play the doubles. No, Neil Skupski and Joe Salisbury able to play uh, rubber together, which you know. Look, as a British person, I would have liked to have seen that happen for for obvious reasons, but also just from a competitive standpoint, it would have been fascinating, wouldn't it? You're always talking about wanting to see Novak Djokovic in doubles duty. Um, do, you, do you reckon they'd have put him and Ketsmanovic together based on what you've seen today? I mean, that, that feels like a doubles partnership that might work. Yeah, I think so. I mean, on the, on the nominations, Djokovic was down with Lajevic, but... Oh, right. The nominations, you know, can can very often change, and the fact that Kecmanovic played so well in that in that singles, and Djokovic obviously played well, and they don't have a sort of ready-made team. I can I can imagine mm. that that they would have gone back out together, and of course they played um, they played doubles the other week together in in Paris. Did Kecmanovic and and Djokovic only one match, I think, but. Um, Perhaps that was a, a little heads up that that was the 
the doubles pairing that they're planning. Uh, so, yeah, I, I eagerly await a Novak Djokovic doubles decider this week. It's been a... It's been an incredible week for doubles deciders already, um, but that is one that that I am pretty pretty desperate to see. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving thirty three percent with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a fifteen stem bunch of tulips for just nine ninety nine each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Well, that may well come against Italy mm. because Italy are going to be the opponents of Serbia in the semifinals and Italy today had to have a deciding rubble rubber in the doubles because, yeah, it went 1-1 after the first two singles. Uh, it was Yannick Sinner, Yannick Sinner who was doing double duty this time. Uh, he and Lorenzo Sonigo beat Talon Greekspoor and Wesley Kulhoff 6-3, 6-3. That, that's interesting in itself, isn't it, that, that – uh, Kulhoff comes in, such a good doubles player, and and can't turn that around in that match. So, how do you how do you assess what went on in that first tie of the day overall? Because we we started with Botic van der Zanschub uh, beating Matteo Arnaldi seven six in the third nine seven third set tie break, and then Sinner beating Greek Spore seven six six one, and then six three six three. For Sinner and Sonigo in the in the doubles at the end. Yeah, so that that first match uh, was about three hours long, and Baltic van der Zanskul saved three match points in that final set tie break to win it. And when he did win it, my thought was, okay, maybe maybe the Netherlands are the favourites now because suddenly you've got a freed up Talon Griekspoor to take on Yannick Sinner. You know, he's kind of got the pressure off him because Baltic's already already got a point for the Netherlands. All the pressure's on Sinner. And then even if it goes to the doubles, I felt like the Netherlands with, as you say, Wesley Koolhoff were pretty well-placed to, to win that. But from, from the moment Yannick Sinner took to the court, it was, in the words of Paul Harhouse, the, the Dutch captain, it was the Sinner show. I was so impressed with him today and I think it's it's another example of the elevation that he's made because I think it I think it takes a, a special kind of player or personality to really take over a Davis Cup tie in the way that he did today. You know, we saw we saw Leila Fernandez take over some Billie Jean King Cup ties just uh, just a couple of weeks ago, but she's a kind of 
give me the ball. I want to get out there and play sort of personality. And I've never really felt like that necessarily was Yannick Sinner. You know, he's, he's, he's pretty, he's pretty introverted, isn't he? But I think, I think he has found a, a level and a sort of standard now that he expects of himself and that he, he knows he can bring. And I think he, I think his just sort of self-belief has gone up because I, I don't think 12 months ago he could have he could have taken over a tie like this and he just very calmly went about it and was so clearly the best player on that doubles court after winning the singles he he just took over it I I I asked both Greek Spore and Kulhoff about this and they were just so impressed with the way he was first of all serving I mean just rolling through his service games that that shot of his has got so much better in the last few months. He was in every every return game because his return of serve is brilliant, and he barely missed a volley at the net. His 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 anticipation up at the net was really good, and his his hand skills were were sort of on point when he when he needed them. He was he was just brilliant, and I think he he settled Sonigo down. Sonigo was a bit sort of hyped up at the start and was maybe making a few errors, but he sort of looked over the other side and he, he was like, oh, okay, I'm fine. Sinner's got this. And and that calmed Sonigo down and made Sonigo play better as well. It was a really impressive performance from from Yannick Sinner in, in both the singles and the doubles. And um, again, Paul Harhouse came out with a fantastic line during the press conference. He was asked sort of where it went wrong for for the Netherlands today. And he said it, it went wrong the moment Yannick Sinner landed in Malaga. <laughs> and that that really was the feeling. It, it felt like Greek Spore and Kulhoff kind of gave the best they could and they just ran into kind of the second best player in the world right now in terms of sort of current form. And he he just stamped his stamped his authority on the tie in such an impressive way. I, I never thought of Yannick Sinner as a doubles player. I didn't know he could Well, I don't think Yannick Sinner has play. really, to be honest, either. He um he said it was the best doubles he's ever played in his life today. And Look, he's he's played a bit on the tour, hasn't he? He's play, he played with Sonigo at the start of the year. He's played a bit with Alex de Menor, but they've not. He's, he's not won many matches at all. And yeah, it it, it was it, it was surprising to me. I thought that was going to be a really really close doubles, and it wasn't. Sit, sit Sinner in particular, and then Sonigo towards the end, just yeah, just wrestled it from from the Dutch. Just took over. That is a really fascinating tie coming up oh. in the semi-finals isn't it because they've beaten each other once each Djokovic and Sinner this this feels different again because you know how much Djokovic wants to win this Davis Cup you can see it in his eyes you can see it in his celebrations with his team and how patriotic they feel right now I mean you know they're all they always are but and all the teams are but you can see it in Djokovic he's ravenous for it he wants this this one and he's missed out a couple of times in Davis Cup and I think he feels in just such a, an incredibly good place right now he still still seems fresh even though it's nearly December but whilst he's he is a better player than Yannick Sinner he's a better player than everybody Sinner is coming on strong and he's growing all the time. And and maybe maybe he'll be a little bit fresher himself now without the the kind of not that he looks like he's burdened in Turin, but there's no the the it is different. You've got your team on your side. We don't know which Yannick Sinner's gonna come out. Um and he may end up he's most likely going to end up playing Djokovic twice, isn't he? I mean, what what's What's his number two going to be like, do we think, against the Serbia number? Well, I mean, if Ketsmanovic played like he did today, Serbia could do exactly what they did against Britain and not end up having to play a doubles. Yeah, it's a bit of a game changer, isn't it? Ketsmanovic playing so well. I, I, I sort of thought yeah. this is all going to be on, on Novak Djokovic, but um, Ketsmanovic was awesome today. And I think I think that's a big, call again for Valandri who plays number two they had Arnaldi playing today who is who I would have chosen today I thought he got the selection right 
And I mean, he's played an absolutely epic match. He's played brilliantly. But I mean, what sort of damage has that left to to not win that match? I mean, that was that was his Davis Cup debut, wasn't it? And uh, or at least at this level, the finals level. Yeah, and he played in the that, group that's stages. Gotta hurt. Yeah, he, yeah, he played in the group stages, which technically are the finals, but it's it, it's not the final eight. Um, and he, he he did play well at times. He made a bad decision on one of his match points. He 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 sort of panicked and threw in a drop shot, and he he wasn't he wasn't playing the drop shot well. Um, he was occasionally getting away with it, but 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 he missed the drop shot wide on the match point. Um, I think if Catherine had been in Arnaldi's press conference, she'd have come away from it thinking that he was a little bit too pleased, given he'd just lost. <laughs> you know how we quite often have that conversation. Um, yeah. Look, we don't. I want to see him hurting. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and we don't want players to be suffering, but we do want them, you know, to to be hurting after losses. I suppose it's it, it it's a it's a sort of juxtaposition that we sort of wrestle with. But he was he was so pleased with how he'd played, and. That was quite sweet in a way, but I I did just want to say you lost, mate. Like <laughs> maybe don't be maybe don't be quite so pleased. Um, what you mean, like like when I was interviewing a, a British player once in the early two thousands, and he came in, and uh, and I hadn't had a chance to see the results of the match. And it's one of those awful questions. Well, how do I ask the first question given I don't know the results? Oh God! Uh, and and he, he looked delighted. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I just about managed to keep it generic enough not to say, well, you must be delighted with the way <laughs> things have gone. You know, uh, I, I think I kept it generic and just said, so, um, so tell me, tell me, tell me about the match. Mm. And he goes, yeah, well, it was disappointing, obviously. I'm thinking, why have you got a massive smile on your face? Then <laughs> you look really thrilled. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it, it, it was, look, I, I get why he was pleased because, yeah, he, you know, he did play pretty well at times and, and, and it was a big moment for him to even be chosen, I suppose. It was one of those slightly awkward press conferences where the Cinemax had already started and quite often they will turn off the screens once the press conference starts, but, but they don't do that here. So constantly Arnaldi is distracted by looking over at what's going on in the Cinema match, which I, again, I kind of loved, you know, I love watching tennis players watch tennis. I spent, I spent much of uh, the GB Serbia tie watching Dan Evans as a, as a fan in the crowd. And, and that was highly entertaining in itself as he, what was he like? Well, <laughs> Look, I don't, I don't know how many drinks he'd had, but it gradually seemed like he'd he'd had more and more as the as the night went on. He was, you know, he was sitting there pretty pretty intently watching to begin with, and by the end he was up and joining in the chants and with his bucket hat in his hand, swirling it around and sometimes wearing it and you know, he was just he was he was he was a fan, he was a genuine fan. It was kind of amazing amazing to see that. Um but anyway, back to Italy. I do think they've got a big selection to make there in the number two singles because do you put Arnaldi back out? Maybe. Sonigo, I think, is kind of made for Davis Cup, you know, the way that he responds to crowds. But again, he can he can be inconsistent. Like you might get some magic, but you might get a disaster with him. And Mosetti, you wanted him today, didn't you? I, I did. You, you, your call was him today. I remember listening to the show that you and Catherine did this morning, and I and I was thinking, no, I'd go, I'm, I'd be going on Aldi. Well, that that almost worked, <laughs> but not quite. So I, th- I think you've got to go Sonigo now if he's if he's fit. But what I would say is, Sonigo and Sinner did combine really well in the doubles, and you know, do you want that as your doubles pairing? Can you afford to to even be thinking about the doubles? Do you need to try and get it done in the singles? I don't know. There's so much at play. It's what I find so so fascinating about Davis Cup and, and Davis Cup team selection. There is, of course, Lorenzo Mazzetti as well. Um, I 
I don't know what it says about Lorenzo Mazzetti that he went with Arnaldi today. Like, I, th- I think it probably says that he he maybe feels the same we do, that there's a kind of bit of a flakiness there. He's, he's just not the guy you trust, especially on a, on, on a surface other than clay. I think if this were clay, you would maybe go with Mazzetti just because of his quality. But, yeah, there's there's something lacking in kind of all of those singles options. So it's it's going to be very, very interesting because it's not like today where even if they lose that first singles, they know that Sinner's likely to win the second one. You know, Sinner's not going to be the favourite against Djokovic. He might win. If anyone here can beat Djokovic, it's Sinner. But... I think we still have to bat Djokovic. He's now won 21 matches in a row in the Davis Cup and he's he's so desperate to win this for Serbia. So it's fascinating. I do feel like Italy kind of need to win that second singles. So who they go with, I don't know. But I just feel like Sonigo gives you the chance of peaking. You know, and a peaking Sonigo is a is a pretty dangerous prospect. Okay, well, it's a few minutes later actually that we're speaking now because uh, I've just had a power cut <laughs> in Solihull. It's our second one in two hours. Uh, the first one went on for about forty five minutes. This one just took me out mid chat, Matt. So I'm sure you were making a splendid point. You were midway talking through talking about Lorenzo Sonigo. I missed the end bit. Yeah, I thought you just had sort of given up on me and and thought he is talking <laughs> rubbish about Lorenzo Sonigo. I think I said something along the lines of you've got a chance that he can peak Sonigo. Ah, um and, yes. and and I feel like you might you might need that because yeah, they need to win that second singles because you can't bank on beating Novak Djokovic I don't think even with no, even pro- with probably Yannick best Sinner. not to. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, something you and Catherine were talking about while well, I was driving this morning and listening and I was it was really interesting hearing you talk about Finland and the Rusevori of it all and, and whether you choose him even if he's sort of mm. 4% fit um, just so that you can make sure that um, and gets to to play against not Alex Dim at all. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and, and I, I was listening to that and it did make me think, is that a is that a real flaw of this format of only having three rubbers in a tie of this importance that if you if you just sort of calculate who you don't want to play against somebody and then that can be just a tie difference maker in one go is that right should that be happening you know if when you used to have five rubbers to decide a tie best of five uh, look i think it's probably fair enough in my view not to have best of five sets anymore for the sheer length of it all but does that need to be looked at you know is, is that is that going too far down the sort of strategic route i if you've got five rubbers it it sort of reduces the ability to influence things quite so dramatically with a selection. I think, well, I think Heinz Gunthardt would agree with you because that was that was very much the issue back then, wasn't it? The way the Russian Tennis Federation sort of manipulated their lineup to to try and get the matchup they wanted against the Swiss a couple of years ago in the Billie Jean King Cup. That was all to do, though, with, with changing at the last minute. This is slightly different. I think this is such an extreme example that actually it's not that much of a problem. I don't think there are many teams who are saying, well, we're going to put out our injured player in order to get the matchup that we want because most teams have less of a discrepancy between between their top player and their number two or their number two and their number three in this case like it's just such a big deal for Finland because you know Patrick Kalkavalta is just not anywhere near the level of Otto Virtanen or Emil Rusevori so I think if you were to sort of radically overhaul 
that system that's currently in place, you would you'd be trying to fix a problem that doesn't really exist. Like I think it, it's popped up here, but we've never really talked about it before. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah. No, I do know what you mean. And by the way, Paddy K, I believe in you. So don't <laughs> don't you be listening to Catherine and Matt slagging you off. Well, uh, <laughs> what I should say is there were positive reports in the Finnish press today about Emil Roussevori. I, th- I think he's going to play. I, I think so too. So Finland, Australia tomorrow for a place in the Davis Cup final. What do you think? Who do you think's going to win? I do think Australia are going to win. I think they're the favourite in every match, you know, so I think um, I think Finland would have to sort of flip two matches, which seems, you know, un- possible but unlikely. Um, like I said, I think Roussevori is going to play, but whether he's ready to beat Alex Dimonor feels unlikely. So we are... Well, we, Finland, are relying on uh, Otto Wertinen again. And I think, I think Australia's selection there is interesting. Does he, does he stick with Jordan Thompson? Does he go with Alexi Popperin? Uh, does he go with Max Purcell? Who knows? I mean, there's, there's, there's a few options there for Hewitt. Um, but, yeah, basically, I feel like Finland are in a similar place tonight to what Sorry, tomorrow to what Britain were in tonight. You know, the, w- trying to win that first singles, that number two singles, is just vital because of because of the unknowns over Rusevori's fitness, and because of how good Alex Dimonor is. So I think it's just another big day for Otto Virtanen. I, I I have to I have to think that the Aussies will will pull it out, but I would God I, I would love. Nothing against the Aussie number two. I would love Otto Wertinen to win that opening singles because we're expecting big Finnish support again and then a free-swinging Roussevori giving it a go against Alex Dimonor. That sounds fun. He's talented, isn't he? He's Very talented. Talent. And then even if he doesn't do it, a doubles decider, you know, Finland being one match away from the Davis Cup final would be extraordinary. So I'm hoping for another fun day, but I, I do think the Aussies will will ultimately get through. Oh, it's all too exciting. So all this this takes place at uh, four o'clock local time for you tomorrow, doesn't it? There's, there's no 10 a.m. start, so <laughs> Matt can have a bit of a lion in the morning, thankfully. And uh, yeah, so 3 p.m. in the UK. Um and yeah, it, it will be absolutely fascinating. And then it all starts earlier, doesn't it, on Saturday with a ten o'clock start? For you. No, is it twelve? No, it's twelve o'clock. Yeah, midday. Twelve o'clock local time. That's it. Um, in that's for Serbia against Italy. Oh, I just can't wait. It's going to be fantastic. Um, really enjoyed it today, Matt. Really enjoyed your 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 reports on what you've been seeing and hearing and doing. Anything else to add before I send you off to bed? Only that I think we've been pronouncing Talon Greek spore wrong. And, and and I can't Oh great. I know. I can't pronounce it, but um Burtik van der Zanschulp said it and I and I, I knew that we were getting it wrong. Basically that sound we make at the end of Van der Zanschulp, you need to make it kind of the start of Greek spore. It's just a very difficult thing to do. Oh. Mm. It's, and it's, we haven't it's, got Catherine on Yeah, here. exactly. So that that's one for Catherine. It's not a it's not a hard G at the start. It's not a Greek spore. It's, it's a slightly different sound. Greek spore. Yeah, very good. I would say it's a bit like that. <laughs> okay, I don't want to say that. Okay, <laughs> I can only just about say Greek spore. Anyway, uh, we, we'll see see how we get on with that in the years to come when we have to pronounce his name. Uh, he'll become one of those players that we hope doesn't do well, yeah. so we don't have to say his name. Very <laughs> the often, Dutch which number really one is not satisfactory, is it? No. Come on, tennis podcast, no. Look, you can do better than that. I think Greek sport's fine, but if we want to be nailing it, and I know Catherine likes to nail her her, her Dutch pronunciations, 
I'd say there's I'd say there's work for us to do. You, you you just know that about four seconds after hearing this section of the podcast, she's going to record it on a voice note and send it <laughs> to us so. as it's supposed to be. Uh, right. Well, good night, Catherine. Um, <laughs> hope you uh, ha- have a good sleep, and we'll perhaps have you back with us tomorrow. Um, certainly, will over at some point over the the next couple of days. Um, I've really enjoyed this. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, we have also to thank our mascots: me, Maisie, Catherine's Zenya, Matt's Darwin, Billy Jean. The dog is thankful to Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. Our top folks and executive producers are people we are thankful for every single time that we do a show in 2023 because Jamie, Hannah and Drew have been with us every single step of the way. Um, and yeah, no shout outs today because uh, we want to do it as a as a team. Um, so it does mean that we may have a few shout outs left at the end of the year, uh, which don't worry, you will get your shout outs. If you've paid for one, you'll be getting one, but you'll be getting one with the full team, uh, even if we have to just spill over into the new year. Although we do have a few podcasts planned for December, so you never know, but we might squeeze them in then. Um, Matt, go to bed, I think, is is the best course of action before <laughs> I have another power cut. Um, so, yeah. Thanks for being with us today. We'll speak to you tomorrow. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 